this morning comes from Acts 2, starting at verse 14, and can be found on page 1091. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. David said about him, I saw the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest in hope, because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead. You will not let your body see one decay. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence. Fellow Israelites, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried and his tomb is here to this day. But he was a prophet and knew that God had promised him on oath that he would place one of his descendants on the throne. Seeing what was to come, he spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah, that he was not abandoned to the realm of the dead, nor did his body see decay. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of it. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. For David did not ascend to the heaven, and yet he said, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool at your feet. Therefore, let all all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptised, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, 
for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourself from this current generation. Those who accepted his message were baptised and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. Good morning, everyone. Christ is risen. Amen. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this great day that we celebrate the resurrection of your Son, the Lord Jesus. I pray that you would be really speaking to our hearts and minds as we contemplate what that means for us this day. In Jesus' name, amen. It was the 15th of August, 1945. We had people here at church this morning who remember the exact events I'm going to tell you about. Ben Chifley, then Prime Minister of Australia, went live on the ABC. Men and women were beginning their day's work all across the country. Boys and girls, including my mother, were beginning school. She was at North Sydney Girls High. And this was the announcement. Fellow citizens, the war is over. The Japanese government has accepted the terms of surrender imposed by their allied nations and hostilities will now cease. Now, small announcement, four key words, incredible excitement. Have a look at what happened that day here in Sydney. The years of blood and tears had ended in resounding victory. Australia joined her allies in an outburst of rejoicing, the like of which her cities had never seen before. The pent-up emotion of six years poured out as a flood. Freedom was really theirs. This day of victory meant loved ones would now be safe. Families once again reunited to enjoy the things for which their men and women had fought. So let's go mad for one unforgettable day. Let's go mad for one unforgettable day. I asked my mum about it. She said she was in school at North Sydney Girls High. They ran out onto the Pacific Highway and they ran up and down like mad banshees. <laughs> Trucks, cars, all stopped. And what was fascinating is, at 8 o'clock this morning, one of the people you just saw on the film was here at church. She was working in the Prudential Building in Martin Place when the announcement came, and she was one of those jumping up and down. And look, that film goes on for a couple of minutes. I won't play it all this morning. But I've never seen anything with such incredible joy uh, in terms of the emotions that were expressed that day. Uh, and it was all because of four words. The war is over. Now friends, that was a very significant day in world history, particularly here in Australia. But I want to say to you, and I say this respectfully, what we're announcing and celebrating today with three words, Christ is risen, is actually far more significant and should bring you far more joy, lasting joy, than what those four words brought to this country in 1945. 
And I want us to stop and think about the significance of what we are remembering today, that Christ is risen. And what I want to do is go to the first message that was ever proclaimed about Christ being risen. And it's from seven weeks after the events. It's the day of Pentecost. And it is literally the first Christian message that was given by the Apostle Peter. And this message took place because of some unusual circumstances that related to the Holy Spirit being first poured out on God's people on the day of Pentecost. It was nine o'clock in the morning and there were 120 of them gathered for prayer and they had been waiting patiently knowing and having seen Jesus risen from the dead and he had gone back to heaven, he had promised them his spirit would come and so they'd waited patiently, they were praying and literally seven weeks later on the day of Pentecost the Holy Spirit came upon them. There was a number of unusual manifestations like fire appeared over people's heads, they went out into the temple precinct of Jerusalem and they began to speak literally in the languages of the nations because the nations uh, had come to Jerusalem, the Jewish people scattered and with all their different backgrounds, all of a sudden, all of them in their own tongue could hear these 120 people proclaiming the excellencies of God and the question is, what on earth is happening? And Peter gets up and preaches. And at the beginning of the message, he explains, the phenomena you see is because the Holy Spirit has been poured out. And then he wants to move to what is the main reason, which is this. Christ is risen. And I've got up on the screen those famous words from the angel that were uttered that very first morning that Stuart read to us earlier. Why do you look for the living among the dead? The angel said to the women who'd come to prepare the body and finish off the ceremonial preparations. He is not here. He is risen. And so when Peter got up that seven weeks later on that occasion, he explains the phenomena of the Holy Spirit and then gets to the main topic, which is that Christ is risen. And this is the great announcement. Jesus Christ is risen. And that's what we're going to think about for the next 20, 25 minutes. Because it is monumentous. It's my favourite day of the year. I was lying in bed at 11 o'clock last night, I'd finished prep and I literally, I found it very difficult to go to sleep. <laughs> I was so excited about coming and preaching today. And just being here together, I knew we'd have a packed house, I knew we'd be singing. And I just thought, what a great day it is to celebrate every year this great reality and I want to pick up the reading from verse 22 of Acts 22 where Peter has explained about the Holy Spirit and then he gets to what he really wants to talk about he says look fellow Israelites listen to this in other words listen to me this is the real thing this is the main point Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders and signs which God has done among you through him. In other words, friends, you know all about this Jesus. You saw him, you didn't just see him, you witnessed the incredible miracles that he did. You know all about what I'm talking about. And then he says, as you yourselves know, this man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge and you, 
with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him on the cross. And there's something incredibly gutsy about the Apostle Peter this day. He's literally staring into the eyes of those who seven weeks earlier had bayed for Jesus' blood. Crucify him, crucify him. We don't want Barabbas. Sorry, we don't want Jesus, we want Barabbas. And he says, you put him to death with the help of wicked men by nailing him to the cross. But I love what he says, he was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge. In other words, this was no accident what took place. God was actually at work in the midst of all that was happening. And then he says in verse 24, but, and don't you love those conversations when you're talking to someone and they, you just know there's a but coming. <laughs> They're giving an explanation, but. And that's exactly what happens here, but. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep his hold on him. Stop and think about those words. There is a great reality of death that really is the fear of all humanity. And it's a very striking description. God freed him from the agony of death. He experienced it. It was agonizing, absolutely. He faced the judgment of God. He went to hell for us. But it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him because that's the Lord Jesus, the one who's got all authority. And this is the Easter announcement. Christ is risen from the dead. That's why we're celebrating with great joy today. It's why I couldn't go to sleep last night. I was so excited to be here. And then he repeats the announcement of Jesus' resurrection in verse 32. In the intervening verses, he, and I'm not going to go through it now, he explains that actually this was part and parcel of God's plan. It was predicted in the Old Testament. He quotes Psalm 16 to say this actually spoke of the resurrection. He later on quotes Psalm 110 to say this predicts the exaltation of Jesus. But he repeats there the key truth in verse 32. God has raised this Jesus to life and we're all witnesses of it. In other words, it's true. We've seen him. He has conquered death. Let me just stop at this moment of my talk because I realise today we've got those who come every week to church, we've got those who come occasionally. You may just have come because you've got an invite in your letterbox and you've wandered in and you thought, you know what, I'll come to church this year and I just want to say for every single person here, we love the fact that you're here. But if you're someone who's here this morning and you're hearing us talk about this resurrection of Jesus from the dead and there's a doubt or a scepticism, let me just say, just bring them. That's okay. Questions are how we learn. And I just want to share just for a couple of minutes as a kind of pause about why I believe this reality of Jesus risen from the dead is actually true. And I'll give you five reasons, I could give you more, but firstly it's worth acknowledging that Jesus' tomb was empty and if you read both Christian and secular historians who are serious in the area of ancient history, they all agree with this fact, that the tomb was empty. Now that doesn't prove that Jesus rose from the dead, but it is a significant fact, there is no body that has ever been found dead. Secondly, 
all historians agree from the ancient Near East, whether they're Christian or secular, that multiple witnesses believe they saw him alive. Now, some will say, we know they think they saw him, whether they did see him, we don't know. <laughs> They're kind of agnostic at that point, but all the historians say, yes, they believe they saw him alive. And when I say multiple witnesses, what we're talking about is many people. The disciples believe they saw Jesus bodily rose from the dead. It's undisputed. It was what Peter says here in the text. And there's five different sets of narratives that highlight and tell the story of the resurrection. You've got Matthew, you've got Mark, you've got Luke, you've got John, and you've got the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 15, all with different narratives, all of the one reality, Jesus risen from the dead. And in each narrative, names are given to us of those to whom Christ appeared. And it's interesting, there are 12 different incidents where Jesus appeared to those people as the risen saviour. They saw him, they spoke with him, they touched him, they ate with him, and then at the end, they worshipped him. And this is all the more impressive when you realise that these narratives arise from separate and independent traditions. What's also significant is this, three of the key witnesses, which is James, the half-brother or step-brother of Jesus, Peter, the apostle who's giving the message, and Paul at the time of Jesus' resurrection, had nothing to do with each other at all. They were not friends, they were not colleagues. In fact, Paul was an enemy of the others. But yet by the time they see him raised from the dead and speak of it, they have all become one in Christ. Thirdly, and you might not have thought about this, but there's an immediate change to first century beliefs. Ask yourself the question, how long does it take for a religious belief to develop? Well, the reality is it takes hundreds of years, doesn't it? But what historically we know, and this is a historical fact, that there is a change in belief system from Judaism to Christianity that is literally overnight. And the first evidence of that change is in the text that we're looking at today because all of a sudden they move from believing in monotheism as Jews to a belief in the Trinity. And that literally, in, if I can say historical terms, happens overnight and the earliest written records about the Lord Jesus date to within a few years of his resurrection. 1 Corinthians 15, the creedal statement there was written in the 30s AD. It is astounding. You have to go, what caused this change of belief system overnight? Well, there's a monumentous event that shook their world. It's the resurrection. But then fourthly, we have a thing called the Bible. It's the Old Testament, the Jewish scriptures, which we also read and learn from. And there's the New Testament. Explain for me, how is it possible that the New Testament exists if there is no event called the resurrection to spark the flood of writing that produced the New Testament? Because the New Testament, in essence, is a record and an explanation of the death and the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. If there is no resurrection, literally, the disciples went home. 
it would have been all over. There is no other reason to explain the existence of literally 20,000 manuscripts and copies of text from the ancient world, except that Jesus rose from the dead. And then lastly, you've got to explain how the church exists. I mean, if there is no resurrection, there is no church. (laughs) There is no message that's being proclaimed around the world. There is no Easter. There's nothing, literally. The disciples on the day he was risen from the dead, what were they doing? They were in the upper room, in a room in uh, Jerusalem, getting ready to go home. They packed their bags. It was all over until Jesus knocked on that door and showed them himself. When I put that all together, friends, I just come to one conclusion strongly, fervently, joyfully, he is risen which leads me to my second point of the announcement jesus is risen and he is now the lord and king you see you've got to stop and ask what's the significance of the resurrection jesus is not like dynamo that incredible magician that you'll see on youtube who does incredible feats including walking on the thames (laughs) there is perspex underneath it's worth noting (laughs) He's not a magician who just does his party trick, raised from the dead, and then disappears off into history. Now, when he rose from the dead, it was purposeful, it was impactful, and it was universally significant because he was appointed as Lord and King. Have a listen to what Peter says. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. In other words... This is the meaning of it. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, I just love the balls of him, both Lord and Messiah. You see, with the resurrection, death is defeated. All of us here and every other person through history has died, will die. Except Jesus. He has conquered the grave. Not just conquered the grave, he's conquered the power of the grave. And he's conquered the power of the grave because he's actually conquered our sin. That ties us to the grave. And our frailties. And he's conquered the one who holds over us the fear of sin and death, which is the devil. Because when he rose from the dead, he rose victorious. This is the greatest victory ever. The conquest over sin, the devil and death itself. And as the one who is the victor, he now rules the world. And yes, he disappeared, but it was not in the sense of not to come back. He has gone back to heaven now where he is exalted. And he sits at the right hand of the Father. And I love that description. He is the Lord and the Messiah. He is the King. And we rightly are filled with joy at the knowledge of the resurrection, but here's the significance of the resurrection. It means, if I can put it in simple terms, he is the boss. And not just of Jerusalem or Israel. He's the boss of not just the world. He's the boss of the universe. He is the one that we will all meet. 
It's interesting, we've got a coronation coming up in a month's time. Now, I have to say, and I will confess this, I have actually really warmed towards Charles. And I'm kind of excited for him. He's waited so patiently. And look, you know, there's a lot of backstory with Charles. We won't go there today. But I'm really happy for him, okay? And he and his wife, Camilla, will become the King and Queen of the United Kingdom and all other Commonwealth realms, including Australia, on Saturday the 6th of May in a month's time at Westminster Abbey. And if you read the newspapers, what are the two big issues that we talk about here in Australia? This is all I get to hear about. Who's going? And in particular, is Harry going? <laughs> and Megan, anyway. Joe Biden said no. Ooh, I'll send my wife. Gee, that caused a bit of a ripple, didn't it? And what's the other issue? What's Camilla going to be called? <laughs> no longer Queen Consort. Now, what sort of name is that? Just call her the Queen. But seriously, after it's all over, we just go back to work and... Does it really make any difference unless we have some constitutional crisis like we had in the days of Whitlam 50 years ago? It really is not going to impact us, is it? It's not. But that is the exact opposite of when Jesus was installed as king of the universe. Because it absolutely impacts every single person, not just in this room here, but through all history. Because he is now the ruler over all. And he holds the power of life and death for all. He is the one that all will have to stand before in the judgment. As the king. As the Lord. It's absolutely significant. Be assured Jesus has been raised up as the king of this whole universe. You see, and if I can say this incredibly, I, I, I mean this with all respect. The Buddha for all his wisdom, is dead. Muhammad, for all the things he did, is dead. Krishna, for all of his wisdom, is dead. And every other world religious figure and leader, and I say this, I'm wanting to be very respectful, but I want to also be objective, they're actually dead. They are not coming back to life. There is only one who has conquered death. And he's the one we are worshipping today. And we are worshipping the risen King, the Lord. That's the significance of the resurrection. And I want you to note the response of the people. When they heard Peter say, he is both Lord and Messiah. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? I was looking at that word in the original language, cut. It's the word to jab. And it's literally like a knife has come and stabbed them in the heart. And what was stabbing them was this sense of holy conviction as God was confronting them about who they were. It was like a knife to the heart, the words of Peter. A deep sense of spiritual conviction. 
that they needed to get their lives right with God. It's interesting, I, as you would imagine as a minister, talk to many people about the things of God and I've got numbers of different social circles I mix in outside of church life. I was in one of them recently. The topic of God's judgment came up, it wasn't from me, it was just somehow appeared in the conversation and I looked to the person I was standing next to and I was going to say to the person, um, you know, you can know that you can have eternal life and be friends with God, there's a way you can know. But before I even got a chance to speak, they looked at me and they know I'm the minister, they just went like this. I'm not joking, and they literally just walked off. And we get on well. But when the topic of judgment came, they didn't want to know. It's what I call Australia's secular denial and indifference to the things of God. There's a denial that will actually have to face this stuff. There's an indifference to the realities of this stuff. But that's not what you see here this day. These people knew the Lord Jesus had died on the cross. They knew he'd been raised from the dead. And they were now deeply convicted that he was the risen king. And their hearts were pierced. And they were asking the honest and difficult question, what shall we do? And let me just say, it is a difficult question to ask. If you're here today and you don't know God, it's a tough question to ask in Australia today. And I've got a lot of empathy for you. Because I know when you leave here, there'll be people who will rubbish you, who will make fun or just be indifferent or denial. And we don't live in a country that is convicted about the need to be right with God. But friends, we are here today. And God is real and Christ is risen. And you can know where you stand with God. Because the third part of the Easter announcement is there is new life available. What saddened me most when I was talking to this person or wanted to talk, I actually wanted to share good news with them. And that's exactly what Peter does. To this group of people who are convicted... That they need to get their lives right with God. What shall we do? And he says, look, repent. And that is a, a word that is loaded with emotion. It just simply means turn around. Turn around, be baptised. Every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Let me unpack that for you. What you need to do is wake up to yourself and realise God is calling you to come to himself. When his son died, he died on the cross for you and your sins. Why? Because he loves you and he wants you to come to him. If one of the problems in Australia is a secular denial and indifference, another is religious guilt. That we say to ourselves, I can never be good enough for God. I can never know if I'm part of God's family. I will just never know because I'm too terrible. Now let me say, we are terrible, but there is an answer. And it's the death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Peter said, turn around, come to the Lord Jesus, come back to him. And give your life to him.
That's what baptism is a symbol of, that you've given your life to Christ. And the promise is, you'll receive the Holy Spirit. There is, there is a new life that God gives to everyone who bows his knee or her knee to the Lord Jesus Christ. And his spirit is a spirit of joy, it's a spirit of peace, it's a spirit of love, it's a spirit of patience, self-control. It, it is a transforming experience to receive God's forgiveness and his spirit. And that's what we are announcing today. That's what the church has announced through all of history. Friends, there is a second chance. There is a new life. It is found in the resurrected Christ. It's why I was so excited last night to come and preach to you. You can know God for sure. You can have your sins and whatever mistakes you've made completely wiped away and be given new life in him which goes beyond the grave. I often say the Christian life is the best way to live now and the only way to die. Let me speak to you personally as I close. If you were to ask me why I'm here today preaching to you, it's for three simple reasons which I've outlined today. I'm a Christian minister because I am deeply convicted that Jesus Christ rose bodily from the grave. And if you want to talk to me about that, I'd be very happy to sit down and have a coffee and explain in more detail that reality. But there's more to it than that. I'm a Christian minister because I'm deeply convicted that when he rose from the dead, he was appointed as the king. And I live under his authority. And thirdly, I'm deeply convinced that that king loves you and wants you to come to him. And wants to wipe your slate clean and give you a new life. And if you don't know that today, I call you to come and repent, turn around and follow the Lord Jesus. Bring your doubts. Bring your scepticism. Bring your questions. Because he'll answer them in time. And just come. Because he loves you. We're going to pray now. And if you want to come to Christ now, I invite you to come. I'm going to lead us in a prayer. Do you want that new life Jesus offers us? Come now. Let's pray. I'm going to say a prayer very slowly and you pray it after me. If you want to come to Jesus now. Dear Heavenly Father, I turn around and I come to Jesus now. I bow the knee. I acknowledge that Jesus is the King. Be my King, Jesus. Forgive my sins. And fill me with your Holy Spirit this day. So that I might know your love, your peace, 
and your hope. And help me to follow you all the days of my life. 